Money Matters Wealthy Thinking with Alfred Edmund Jr. You and Bay are in love, and it sure feels good. But how soon is too soon to become intimate? I'm not talking sexually, but financially. I'm your host, Alfred Edmund Jr. So I'll be talking about what financial intimacy is and what you should consider before bonding with another person financially. I'll also be sharing an insightful and encouraging conversation with money coach, author, and financial behaviorist, Jaquette Timmons, president and CEO of Sterling Investment Management and the author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. And of course, as you know, I'll have another great recommendation for your wealthy thinking reading list. But first, for the past several months, you've enjoyed a great relationship with a funny, fine, sexy, attractive partner. In fact, you think you're in love and that you truly found the one. Sooner or later, the question will come up. Are you ready to do it? I'm not talking about sex or moving in together or marriage, but financial intimacy. When is the right time to combine your finances in a relationship? So what exactly is financial intimacy? That's the act of two people literally exposing their financial resources to one another in the context of a relationship. Not just romantic relationships, but really any relationship. Just as with physical or sexual intimacy, relationship partners should always be mindful of protecting their health and safety before merging their money or making any kind of joint financial commitments. For example, by co-signing on a loan or an apartment lease. Bonding financially with anyone before getting a complete understanding of how he or she handles money is a recipe for both emotional and financial disaster. You and your partner may be already emotionally and physically intimate. However, that does not mean you're ready for financial intimacy, no matter how strong you feel about each other. Here's what you need to consider. First, how long have you been together? Have you been in an exclusive, committed, and drama-free relationship with your partner for at least a year? If not, do not commingle your finances or make joint financial commitments like co-signing on an apartment lease or extending a loan. Complicated and often on situationships do not count, no matter how long ago they began. Next up, what do you really know about your love interest's financial habits? Don't go by assumptions or what you're told, but what you can learn by observation. Does your sweetheart abuse credit cards or use them sparingly? Does he or she honor his or her financial commitments, or do they routinely bounce checks and duck their landlord? Does he or she contribute to a 401k account, or are they counting on the lottery to fund their retirement? Once you combine your money, your finances will be affected by your honey's financial habits and vice versa. So, one of the key questions you want to answer is whether your love interest is a safe financial partner or a potential adult dependent. If the latter, that means they habitually depend on others to finance their desired lifestyle. And engaging in financial intimacy with them is a bad move. If you're not sure, especially if you've been together for more than a year, or if your partner resists or resents your efforts to learn how they handle money, 
Do not mix your finances. Here's the next thing you want to consider. Can you talk about money freely? Until you can have open, safe, and honest discussions about your financial beliefs, your philosophies, your fears, habits, and goals, it is unsafe for you to be financially intimate. That goes double if you can't talk about money without one or both of you feeling judged or attacked or becoming angry or resentful. And speaking of your financial goals, be honest. Are they complementary or are they in conflict? Can you travel the world in early retirement while supporting your partner's efforts to start a new business? Financial intimacy could place both goals, as well as your relationship, at serious risk. Are you prepared to become financially naked? Yes, I said naked. Before committing acts of financial intimacy. If either or both of you are unwilling to reveal your complete financial histories and details of your current financial situations, such as your credit reports and scores, outstanding loans and debts, credit cards, child support obligations, and bankruptcies, keep your money separate. Combining your finances without sharing this information is like having unprotected sex without knowing each other's HIV status. Next up, are you ready to create a budget and stick to it? Don't commingle your finances if you can't agree on a plan for handling shared income and expenses. A great way to test this is to operate according to a budget for a trial period of at least six months before opening joint accounts or otherwise combining your resources. A lot of will come out about how you handle money when you have to actually work together to spend it and earn it. Think twice before taking on joint financial obligations. Especially if you're not married, do not co-sign, open joint accounts, or make shared financial commitments without creating agreements detailing terms of responsibility, who's making what contributions, and how the fees and payments will be handled. Better yet, just don't do it. You can share financial resources and a budget without taking on joint financial obligations before you get married. On the other hand, if you make such commitments and your relationship ends, you'll both likely regret it. The only thing messier than a nasty divorce is a breakup between two unmarried people who are legally bound by shared financial commitments. Now, if financial intimacy after all of this doesn't feel good, meaning it doesn't feel safe and healthy, don't do it. If either you or your partner feels manipulated, coerced, reluctant, or anxious about combining your finances for any reason, real or imagined, keep your finances separate and don't make joint financial commitments. You're listening to Money Matters Wealthy Thinking. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. We'll be back in a moment. Support for Money Matters Wealthy Thinking and the following message come from State Farm, who knows that many Americans struggle with their finances and most have never been taught how to manage them. Starting today, State Farm wants to change that by giving people the tools, help, and education they need to take control of their money, putting financial well-being within the reach of everyone. Now you can find out more at letstarttoday.com. State Farm, here to help life go right. Coming up on Money Matters Wealthy Thinking, a critical key to gaining control of your finances is getting a true understanding of how your financial behavior impacts your wealth outcomes. 
So you definitely want to listen up for my conversation with money coach, author, and financial behaviorist, Jaquette Timmons. She's the president and CEO of Sterling Investment Management and the author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. But first, it's time for my Wealthy Thinking Reading List recommendation. Regular Money Matters listeners know that I stress the importance of being proactive about your financial education by reading at least one book about personal finance, investing, or business each month. And just so you know, I do that, so I'm not telling you to do anything that I don't do myself. Today, I'm recommending a book I literally just finished. Love and Money, Protecting Yourself from Angry Exes, Wacky Relatives, Con Artists, and Inner Demons by Anne-Margaret Carosa Esquire. Love and Money is a perfect addition to your reading list because it graphically illustrates what can happen if you fail to follow the advice I just shared about premature financial intimacy and how costly it really can be to you. Carosa is an experienced and accomplished estate planning attorney, nationally recognized as a regular legal expert on the Dr. Phil Show. In fact, Dr. Phil wrote the foreword for the book. So Carosa makes the important point that it takes more than a do-it-yourself will to protect yourself from people who can really wreck your finances, including your lovers, spouses, exes, especially exes, adult children, and other friends and relatives, or so-called friends and relatives. She covers everything from prenups and postnups to the different kinds of trust you could establish to protect your assets, both before and after you die. She also introduces the idea of couples creating a love contract. And this can be used as a tool that can, among other things, prevent pet peeves like being messy or snoring at night, becoming intolerable deal breakers in a new relationship. But the absolute best part of the book is the stories about the real life clients and the surprising, even shocking things that happen to them and their loved ones when they don't take steps to protect their wealth. Man, I literally made an appointment with my estate planning attorney as soon as I finished reading Love and Money. This stuff is no joke. So if you care about what happens to your money and protecting it from the agendas of others, be sure to add love and money, protecting yourself from angry exes, wacky relatives, con artists, and inner demons by Anne-Margaret Carosa Esquire, to your Wealthy Thinking reading list. And now let's hear from today's guest, my friend, money coach, author, and financial behaviorist, Jaquette Timmons, president and CEO of Sterling Investment Management and the author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. Timmons shares why understanding your financial behavior is key to establishing a healthy relationship with your money. Oh, thank you so much, Alfred. I am really delighted to be here. Well, you know, my mission is all about increasing our collective awareness about our relationship with money. And in that context, increasing our collective peace of mind about money. And my particular approach to doing that is by changing the conversations that we have and the actions to take. And I'm really known for saying that you don't manage money as much as it is that you manage your choices around money. 
And for me, the seedling for that philosophy that drives a lot of my body of work uh, stems from what I witnessed in 1987 when I was working at Bankers Trust and we had the crash. <laughs> and that happened to be, you know, the next big crash after the one that ultimately led to the depression. And what I was particularly curious about and fascinated with is the different reactions that people had. I mean, I literally, you know, witnessed people that if they could have, they would have jumped out of a window because they were that distraught over the amount of money that they lost for their clients and for themselves. And on the flip side, there were people that were very calm. And those two different and drastically different reactions to one single event is what really got me interested in wanting to know more about behavioral finance, about behavioral economics, even though I didn't have that language back then to describe it as such. Subsequent years later, I realized that that's what it was. Yeah, you and I share a passion, um, maybe for the same reasons. In 1987 was my first year at Black Enterprise, so I remember that very, very clearly, the different reactions. And over my time at BE, I learned over time that better financial decision-making doesn't necessarily a result of more knowledge. In other words, people right. will know more but still do the same things they used to do. Exactly. And that's when I started thinking about, well, what are the emotions behind why people do what they do that will over, always overwhelm their knowledge about what they know they should do. Exactly. I always say if you need to think of it via the lens of an equation, it's insight is greater than information. Yes. So talk to me about what you think are the things that our listeners should pay attention to in terms of gaining a deeper understanding of their own financial behaviors, particularly as it relates to the wealth outcomes that they either want to um, achieve or that they are achieving despite their best efforts. Yeah, you know, and and I'm going to um, answer that through the lens of what I call the three P's, pause, plan, and you already mentioned one of them, pay attention. Um, the pause piece really is literally pausing, taking a moment to take stock of where you are and to take stock of what has contributed to where you are, both the good and the not so good. And I think that in a culture where we kind of um, idolize being busy and idolize having so many things to do that we don't really give credence to the value of taking some time, even if it is just 15 minutes a week, to really look at our numbers and not just for the sake of looking at the numbers, but going through and asking ourselves the question, well, what are the choices that I made that might have led to this? And not just the choices that I made this week, but what are the choices that I made last month or six months ago or one year ago that's contributing to what I am experiencing right now? So just pausing to look at the numbers, but not just look at the numbers, do that with the intent of asking some questions. After you've done that, then you have, you know, some data, if you will, by which to create a plan and a plan that is a combination of being rooted in reality, <laughs> but a reflection of what you want. And I think one of the reasons why people fail when it comes to plans or they get really, really frustrated is that they make these plans based upon the future and the vision that they want to have. And that is absolutely awesome. But if you don't root it and ground it in what is real or has been real for you, then you're really setting yourself up for failure because you're not taking into account some of the behavioral patterns, if you will, that um, you might need to be mindful of so that you can identify 
those minds that you might step on and things might not go so well or, you know, look for opportunities that you overlooked in the past. But if you create your plan in, in a particular way, you won't dismiss them moving forward. So after you pause, then using that period of pausing to collect your data, both the financial and the emotional, to create a plan that is certainly focused on the future, but is taking into account some of the reality of the moment. And then in terms of paying attention, it literally is being mindful of what you are doing every single day with your money. Because the thing that I say is you go into your wallet probably every day, whether it's to get your cash or credit card, debit card, or you go online to do something. But just because you do that, it doesn't mean that you are in tune with what you have, what you do with what you have, or why. But if you just pay attention and just simply ask yourself the question of why am I doing what I am doing and not from a standpoint of being judgmental, but out of a space of curiosity, that's going to give you a lot of insight that you might not have initially been tuned into. You can get more great insights from Jaquette Timmons, as well as check out her blog and other resources that'll help you to improve your finances and enjoy your life at JaquetteTimmons.com. That's J-A-C-Q-U-E. T-T-E, Timmons.com. This is Alfred Edmund Jr. with Money Matters, Wealthy Thinking. Be sure to check out my free ebook, Buy Love, Get Trouble, Sell Love, Get Screwed, How Decisions in Pursuit of Sex, Love, and Relationships Impact Your Career, Your Business, and Your Financial Success at GrownZone.com forward slash Buy Love, Get Trouble. And don't forget to subscribe to Money Matters Wealthy Thinking on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. at AURN.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Money Matters Wealthy Thinking, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.